homily for the 18th Sunday in Ordinary Time, July 31st, 2022, St. Mary's Church, Grand Forks. I need to start off with a couple of quick announcements. First of all, I ask your prayers for the repose of the soul of my aunt Margie Bitts, whom the Lord called from this life on Thursday morning the 28th. Her funeral mass will be Monday in Napoleon. She was the last living sibling from my dad's family and would have turned 89 years old this coming Friday. She had been in the nursing home the past two years and had suffered from an advanced case of dementia, but always knew me when I visited her. She was an outstanding example of faith and humility to all of us in our family. May her soul and the souls of all the faithfully parted through the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. I also want to draw your attention to a small cabinet placed on the back wall above the gifts table. It holds receivers for our hearing assistance loop system. I thank Keith Holly for designing and building this beautiful cabinet. Many of you have hearing aids that are compatible with our system. For those who do not, you are welcome to help yourself to a receiver and return it after Mass. There are several units available, so please use them and don't be shy. Some of you may be a little uneasy right now regarding what this gospel was about. Oh no, this is going to be a homily about money. I just know it. I grant that it would be easy to go that direction. But first of all, please remember that stewardship is a threefold consideration of time, talent, and treasure. When those first two are strong, the matters of dollars and cents have a way of sorting themselves out. Most of the things that may immediately be coming to mind how much money you make, how much the person in the next pew has, what we're doing with it, are more like tangents that divert our attention away from the real issues Jesus addressed. Let's pay close attention to the direction in which the Lord takes us. Jesus firmly reminds us in today's gospel that before God, we are confessors first and not accusers. Job number one is to put our own house in order and not to gripe about what's going on in our neighbor's house. That's why Jesus replies in today's gospel that he is not there to be a judge or arbitrator. Meddling in the dispute between this man and his brother won't address the ugly critter behind the man's behavior. Here's an example. All four of my grandparents passed away within about a two-and-a-half-year window of time, from 1989 to 1992. They got married just before and at the start of the Great Depression. They overcame economic hardships and adversity as young farm families that I could never fathom. But thanks to God's help and their work ethic, they made good lives for themselves and their children. I can gratefully say that at the time God called them from this world, they did not face the prospect of being penniless. And while I don't know the exact figures, I can also gratefully say that there were no troubles among my relatives regarding the dispersals of their estates. 
We can imagine and perhaps have experienced for ourselves how messy and complicated those proceedings can be. Maybe something similar was going on with the man in this gospel passage and his brother. But ultimately, there was a simple explanation for why he was so concerned about this earthly treasure. The man was covetous. He had already spent the anticipated inheritance a dozen different ways in his mind, and each passing day delayed his master plans. It's no accident that two of the Ten Commandments warn against coveting. The Ninth Commandment steers us toward purity of heart and respect for the covenant of marriage, and the Tenth Commandment speaks about the material possessions that we own. In discussing this commandment, the Catechism of the Catholic Church defines the vice of envy as an inordinate sadness over our neighbor's accumulating of goods, honors, or success. Envious people forget about what they already have and what they could yet receive from God, choosing instead to obsess over what the next guy has, whether it's one's brother or neighbor. The immediate remedy seems to be the acquiring of the newest and nicest toys. But of course, this is no remedy at all, because their newness and superiority never last. Until and unless he truly solves his deeper problem, the man in this gospel will keep butting heads with someone over superficial squabbles. To drive his point home, Jesus tells a parable about a man who decides to build larger granaries so as to store his bumper crop. This decision could be meritorious if his motivation were the well-being of his loved ones or to share a portion of his bounty with those in greatest need. However, his motivation is the world's hollow promise of security. Now I can party and relax. I can eat, drink, and be merry. The rich man feels secure, but his security is very fragile. Now is a good time to mention Koheleth from our first reading. Vanity of vanities, he laments. All things are vanity. Tradition has attributed the sayings found in the book of Ecclesiastes to King Solomon. Nowadays, scripture scholars aren't so sure of that. In any event, the author was a philosophical man who refused to settle for the banality of living life from one good time to the next. Wisely examining the human condition, he was troubled by how the good things for which we work our fingers to the bone in order to buy can belong to someone else in an instant. Picture for a moment a person with no concept of a blessed eternity in heaven after death, and suddenly the words of Koheleth take on a new meaning. These are not the senile rantings of a grumpy old man. Far from it. Koheleth was searching for a permanent peace and joy in life, one that not even poverty can steal from us. He knew the longings of his heart, and therefore knew that this kind of joy must exist. But with the hindsight of faith, we can see that only in the person of Jesus does it take shape. To his horror, the rich man in the gospel parable learns that he will not live to see the next sunrise. That man was certain that his security lay in things. But really, one's life is made secure by triumphing over things. That's why the stuff we have is not the only issue here.
Jesus isn't holding a chart with a scale of dollar amounts, and each person in a given category who exceeds that amount is automatically consigned to the fires of hell. Rather, what Jesus asks of us is a spirit of detachment, no matter our economic standing. This is why he once said that it is hard for one who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Again, this is not a homily about money, per se, but what we choose to do with it. Do your possessions own you? Does your protection of them prevent you from walking with the Lord and keeping the precepts of his church? How much time have you spent building up a treasure in heaven? What moves us from foolishness to heroism is the recognition that in life there is an abundance provided for us, but that abundance comes from participating in a new way of life in the Holy Spirit. Thereby we will win a trophy, not of metal that tarnishes, but of sanctifying grace. You know, during the course of the church year, there are several memorials of saints who were monarchs in medieval times. Among them are names like Saints Henry of Bavaria, Elizabeth of Hungary, Casimir of Poland, Louis of France, and my dear departed aunt's namesake, Margaret of Scotland. One of the distinguishing characteristics of many of them was that they did not hoard wealth for their own households, but spent it lavishly on the public good, on the needs of the people and the church. When they died, there was not a vast material fortune on top of which their progeny was sitting, but a living legacy of churches, schools, roads, bridges, etc. They spent most of what they had on others during their lifetime, and not on themselves. In many cases, when the saint passed, the person would set aside a modest, threadbare garment in which to be buried, rather than to be bedecked in jewels and finery. In addition, his or her spouse would often join a religious community to live a contemplative life of austerity and prayer for the rest of their days, rather than to remarry and grace the society pages. While they were on earth, they never ceased to think of what is above, which St. Paul directed us to do in today's second reading, and to put to death the things in their hearts that were earthly. In a world where so many material goods are available to rich and poor alike, it's all the more important for us to do likewise. Amen.